So over the last, what has it been, nine weeks, we took a break from the book of 1 Corinthians and we talked about who we are as a church. But today, we're going to get back into it. We're going to dive back into the book of 1 Corinthians. So we're going to take a couple moments to just do a quick recap. Because how many of you guys remember nine weeks ago? I don't remember nine minutes ago, let alone nine weeks ago. So we're going to talk. So last time when we ended, you guys will remember that, that Paul was talking something kind of, kind of countercultural to what we hear today. And what he said was, stay as you are. What do you mean by that? Well, if you're single, stay single. If you're married, stay married. Stay as you are and make your focus the kingdom of heaven and not others in your life. Amen. He says, if you're unmarried, you should stay that way. Not because Paul didn't believe in marriage, but because he didn't want them to suffer. They were getting ready to go into some hard times, particularly, <laughs> I saw you giggle when I I didn't mean suffering was marriage. <laughs> I, I, I saw that thought run right through your head when I said it. What, what I meant was, is that at this time in history, things were about to get rough. The church is getting persecuted. The, oh, I wish I would have thought of that on my own. That would have been funny. The, but the, the church is getting ready to deal with some persecution. And how many of you know that, that when people are close to you get hurt, it hurts you even more? And it was going to be tough to be married in that time. And he also said, if you are married, I'm not saying you should seek to be unmarried. Stay, with where you, stay where you're at. Go on. If you're married at the time, go on with your spouse and serve the kingdom of heaven. Because it was going to be difficult. He said, stay focused on the Lord and the business at hand is sharing the gospel. Amen. But like I said, he didn't want to be misunderstood. Mary wasn't against marriage. She said, if you stay single, it's not a sin. Actually, he said, according to Paul, it was preferable. That's something you don't hear today. You know, Peter's saying, going out, find a wife, find a husband. Particularly in the church, that's a big deal in the church. But Paul was like, nah, I think it's actually better if you stay single and just focus fully on the Lord. It's not a bad thing to be single, amen? But he also made it clear that being, getting married wasn't a sin either. He said, if you want to get married, that's not a sin either. But just be ready to accept the trials and difficulties that come along with that. Not only because of the times, but because marriage is hard. Amen? But he did remind us that even if you are married, the truth is, is that we should live as though we're not. And what he meant by that was is that you make sure you put God and God first. It goes God and then your spouse and then your children. Not your spouse and your children and then God. Even if you're married, make sure he's first. So that's where we ended, what, nine weeks ago. So today... Um, I actually found it kind of interesting as I was preparing because we're getting ready to celebrate the 4th of July. That's the weekend that we're in right now. And what do we celebrate on the 4th of July? Freedom, right? I once saw a picture online and it had all these eagles on the ground and I think it was a dock or something and there was probably 20 or 30 of the eagles on the dock. And somebody wrote in the comments, he goes, man, I know how you get pigeons together like that or ducks together. You just throw seed on the ground or you throw, you throw bread on the ground and the birds will gather. So what do you throw on the ground to get eagles together? And somebody wrote, freedom. <laughs> so you throw some freedom around if you want the eagles to gather. But just as the 4th of July is coming around the corner, I found it interesting. We're going to be studying chapter 8. We're going to go through chapter 8 today. And the whole purpose of chapter 8 is taking care with your liberty. 
It's being smart about your freedom in Christ. Because how many know that as Christians, we have great freedom, we have great liberties in Christ? Amen? I mean, there's this, there, there was the law that came out that said you can't do this, this, and this, and this. And when Jesus came, He said, you know what, we're going to get away from the letter of the law and realize what we're supposed to be doing here. That means it doesn't matter what kind of food you eat. It doesn't matter all these different things. And that's actually what we're going to deal with today is, is food offered to idols. That was their big deal. Are we, are we free to eat that? Are we free not to? But the truth is, as Christians, is, is we are free under the law. Or not, not being under the law, rather. We're free in Christ. But Paul says that in this freedom, which is a great and amazing thing, we must take care that our freedom doesn't cause another to stumble. And I was thinking about that in light of this weekend, and, and it's so true. It goes so much deeper than just, or, or so much broader than just our Christian liberties. But as in America, we have great freedoms as well. But even in our freedoms in America, we should take great care that our freedoms don't harm another person as well. Your freedom should always be combined with love as you're looking forward. And what I mean about that in America today is we all have freedom of speech, right? But that doesn't mean that you should use that freedom to tear down another person, to hurt them. Amen? We have to take care with our freedoms, whether it be in this country or the freedoms afforded to us in Christ. So let's go ahead and get started. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, it says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, but this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So before we get started, let's get some background of what's going on in the Corinthian church, right? We talked about uh, many weeks ago that the city of Corinth is a big melting pot. It's got many religions. It's got many different types of people, different ethnic backgrounds. All this stuff is in this one giant melting pot of a city, kind of like what we have in the United States. And it had all kinds like, sort of religions, ritualistic stuff going on. There's temples everywhere to, to every which god you can think of. And uh, we're, we're looking at this, and we might begin to think as believers, we're like, why is this even coming up? Why is this an issue? Because even just a little while ago in 1 Corinthians 5.9, Paul says not to associate with brothers who are idolaters. He says, you misunderstood me. You can, you can deal with people that aren't saved, but if they're your brother and they're idolaters, I don't want you to deal with them. And that's what they're struggling with. They're like, these people are saying they're Christian. They're saying that they're brothers, but we're still finding them in the temple eating food offered to idols. They're eating this food publicly. And like, we're confused. What do we do, Paul? And then in Acts 15.29, it even says, abstain from food that has been sacrificed to idols so like there's some more confusion there right and we're like well the bible's pretty clear stay away from this stuff you know what why is the the corinthian church even confused but the truth is before we get a little too judgmental when we're looking at this stuff before we already make up our mind what's going on ask yourself how many times have you watched american idol or dancing with the stars or all this other stuff in our culture where we're like Man, I mean, why would you go to a restaurant that serves alcohol? Isn't that bad as a Christian? Why would you? I mean, why? Now you're thinking, well, maybe there's something going on that we have to actually take into consideration. Well, first off, for the believers in Corinth, staying clear from any contact with idolatry was pretty much impossible. 
think about the city they're living in, much like the city we live in today. I mean, as a culture, our society lifts up sports figures and celebrities and all these different stars. We can't get away from that. We're, We're in this world. We're not of it, but we're still in this world. Amen? So what's going on with them is is we have to recognize that people often ate meals in the temples. It was was a place for social gatherings where people got together. This was the accepted and social practice in the city of Corinth right now, was to have public or private gatherings in the temple. It was where they went to hang out. It was like going to the VFW to 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 have your wedding reception there. You know, and as Christians, we can look at that and go, oh, why would you go there? But we all do. As a matter of fact, we, we just, uh, I was just did a wedding recently, and we went to the service afterwards, and guess what? There was dancing to non-Christian music, and there was people being served alcohol. But we were still able to go there and, and have a good time, and, and uh, if you look hard enough, there's probably a video of me dancing, so uh, <laughs> there's proof, but... Uh, but the truth is, is that they lived in a where they couldn't get away from this stuff. If they wanted to completely drop all contact with this stuff, they would have to not be involved in anything going on in the city whatsoever. I mean, it would be like telling people today that, no, don't get involved in, in serving the people of the United States in government. That's a bad thing, because if you do that, they don't allow God in government, so you don't want to be there. But the truth is, we want Christians in government, Amen. But that's kind of the stuff that they're dealing with, the decisions that they're going to have to be making. And at such gatherings, this is what happened. Because they're at the temple, they would offer a sacrifice. And a third of it would be burned up in the offering to this idol that they're serving. Um, a third of it would go to the priest, and a third of it would go to the offerer of what was, what was left over. And Basically, what was happening also is if the priest didn't use his whole person of the offering, he would sell it to the market, and then the market would sell it to the people. So now we have two big reasons. One, they're in a society where uh, not being involved or touching idolatry in any way was pretty much impossible. But two, if they went to the market to pick up, you know, if they went to Safeway and there was some, some, some meat there on sale, it could have been offered to an idol. It could have been offered to a false god and what are they supposed to do then now they don't even know how can they be sure does that mean they don't ever buy meat again so we got to think about the 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 time that they're living in their culture that they're living in because it changes some things for their life just like for us if we were to stay away from everything ungodly we would have to exit this or you would never be able to leave your house if that was how you were expected to live your life. So we have to remember that when we're making these split judgments in our, our brain about these Corinthians. And on top of that, actually the question that they, they were asking, he says, now concerning food offered to idols. So they were asking questions about this food. They were asking, but which we also get from this, is he responds that we know that all of us possess knowledge. That means that the Corinthians were actually making their case to Paul. And they were saying that, Paul, we have this knowledge. We understand that these idols are nothing. We understand that they're not real. And if they're not real and they're nothing, and we have freedom in Christ, what's the big deal? Why can't we just go eat this meat? You know, because you taught us that this stuff doesn't mean anything. You taught us that it's not important. And they they were believing Paul's teaching about this stuff, saying, hey, it doesn't matter what goes in you. But what comes out of you? 
right? That's what Jesus said. Paul's going to be teaching what Jesus wrote. And so these people, actually, they're probably a little bit more mature Christians. They're starting to figure it out. They're starting to figure out that, that being in Jesus is, being different, is different than being in some other religion with rules and regulations that you have to follow. And they understood that. So they're like, well, if that's the case, we're going to go and eat in these temples. But the problem was, is that even though that they surmised correctly, I want you to hear that, they were correct, and that this food offered to idols was nothing. It didn't make a difference to Christians. They weren't going to hell. They weren't sinning. They weren't doing any of these things from eating this food offered to idols. They surmised that correctly. But even though they did that, they were missing something because they didn't think it all the way through. They weren't exercising this freedom in love. They, they didn't think about the consequences of what might happen by exercising this freedom, right? It's just like today, if we exercise our free speech, we can, we can belittle somebody and tear them down. And that's perfectly legal. But we don't think about the consequences of what might happen when we do that. Somebody could be hurt. Somebody could be broken. We could exercise our free speech around, the, the, around police officers for a minority of them doing stupid things. And we can exercise our free speech and, and we don't recognize that doing so actually hurts the entire police force. It makes it less effective. It makes them less able to do their job. We don't think about the consequences of what might come around with exercising these freedoms. Because what was happening was is their knowledge was a knowledge that just puffs up. It was building them up. It was clearing their conscience. It was making everything okay with them. But because it wasn't offered in love, it wasn't building up. But Paul says, love builds up. He says, what are you doing when you're, actually, when you're doing this? You're not building up the church. You're actually harming it. And he goes on in, in verse 2. He says, if anyone imagined that he knows something, he does not know yet as he ought to know. So anytime you got something all figured out, remember, you do not know yet as you ought to know. You can always learn a little bit more. But he says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. You see, when we get wrapped up in only what we know, without taking it into context, without uh, thinking about other people, Paul says we don't know as we ought to know. That means we've got a little bit more to learn. Now, as a, as a young man in my early 20s, I thought that being honest was the way to go. And I still agree with that. Being an honest person is the way to go. But I took it so far to the other side. My pendulum swung so far to the other side that I thought that being brutally honest in every situation was always the right answer. And man, I would just tell people what was on my mind. I would just tell them whatever I thought. And if I go back and look, if you look at the facts, I was accurate in what I was saying. But I found that when I did that, ultimately I was just hurting people. I wasn't operating in love. And, and granted, this is one of those times that I probably didn't even have enough faith to be saved. Young in my life, doing whatever I wanted. I thought I had it figured out. My focus was always inward on me. And I, was, I, I, I remember, I look back and think about the people that I hurt, the stuff that I said in the name of being brutally honest. And I just, I just broke people. And then one day I looked up and I couldn't figure out why nobody wanted to be friends with me. Why nobody wanted to hang out with me. Because I drove them away. Because I was being honest. My knowledge 
knowing what was going on had puffed me up, and instead I just hurt other people. And this is even in a Christian context. It's amazing how all the principles of God that we learn about don't just apply to Christians. These principles apply to the world. This is the world that, that, that God made. Everything was made through Jesus. The, the way he sets things up, his rules apply to the world. Amen? See, the thing about knowledge is if it's not understood and exercised with love, it just builds you up. It's, it's, it's hypocritical, basically. It, it, leads to, it leads to pride. It leads to us looking under ourselves. Lead, you know, look how much I know. Look what I can do. Look at these things that, that I'm all about. And eventually it collapses under its own weight like it did to me in my life. And just like even after that, you think I learned my lesson then, but later I figured I, I was good at everything and I didn't need God, so I had it all figured out. So this looking inward, this pride of my own self and, and all the knowledge that I had, right? Because I knew everything. I had it figured out. I was still in my early 20s and I still knew everything. So I was, I was growing, I was puffing myself up and then finally my world collapsed around me underneath its own weight. And the funny thing is, is in, in the midst of it, like I can look back now and see the signs all the way through it, but in the midst of it, I was oblivious. I had it all figured out. And that's the thing about this knowledge and the stuff that we have. This is, what it's been, this is what's been said. I heard this quote and I thought it was brilliant. Truth without love is brutality. And to love without truth is hypocrisy. That's what happens if we don't apply knowledge correctly. You guys have all heard the expression, knowledge is power? That's true. Knowledge really is power. But if it's not applied in love, it has more potential to hurt the church, to hurt other people, than it does to build it up. Amen. In church today, we're looking at uh, a food offered to idols, but it doesn't just apply to food. It applies to everything in our lives which we begin to build up and point towards ourselves. Any other action that we take that we may very well have freedom in Christ to do, if it could hurt somebody else, if it could cause somebody else to stumble, we really need to take a look at what we're doing. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 8, 4, it says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. So now Paul's getting back to the question at hand, and he's probably replying to them to their letters, saying, yeah, you guys are right. We know this stuff. We acknowledge, he says, I acknowledge that what you're saying to me is correct. These, these, these idols, they're nothing. They're false gods. They have, that there's nothing to them. There's no real existence. And we understand that there's only one God. He says, this is, this is true. You got it right. You figured it out. And even, because this is probably from his teaching, right? Because Jesus said the same thing in Matthew fifteen eleven. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. They had it figured out. And that's what I want you to understand this morning, church, is that we can have things figured out, but if not applied correctly, we can hurt people. The people that we're supposed to be encouraging and lifting up. You re you'll remember that you weren't always as mature in Christ as you are today. And the truth is, and it's not just other Christians. Other people are looking and watching what we're doing, and they're making decisions about Christianity, who God is, based on the things that we do. It's been said that if you want to know what a Christian can and, can and cannot do, just ask an atheist. 
<laughs> they know what you can and can't do. But the thing is, is there's only one God. And if you're serving him, food is not the problem. Paul says you're right. But he continues on. In verse eight, uh, sorry, chapter 8, verse 5 through 6, it says, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom, all, whom are all things and through whom we exist. So now he goes on to, he acknowledged their side, but he said, but we also need to acknowledge that, that many people believe in these so-called gods. Many people believe in the gods that they're, I mean, that's what they're there for, right? If they didn't believe in them, they wouldn't be making offering uh, sacrifices to them, right? So he said, and this makes sense from this time's perspective, because, you know, we all know the history, we know all about the Roman gods and the Greek gods, and, you know, they worshiped the sun and the stars and the moon, and, and they, you know, they worshiped everything. Paul was saying that he was, he was walking through, through a, I don't remember what city it was, but he's going through, and, and uh, uh, he sees a statue there, and it says, to an unknown god. I mean, they were worshiping gods they didn't even know. They're like, man, there's something going on here. Let's put up a statue. Let's war. They believed in all this stuff. And Paul says, I recognize that, that there may be so-called gods in heaven or earth. As indeed, there are many gods and many lords. He recognized that these were out there, that people believed in them. But the truth is, church, is this isn't just a Corinth, uh, Corinth thing. The, in the United States, we have many gods in this, in this country as well. Money, the government, celebrities, sports figures, stuff we can go on and on sometimes even your spouse or your husband or your friends we have all kinds of things that we're offering sacrifices to on a regular basis in this country but the truth is is that there is only one god no matter how many of these so-called gods there are there is only one god the father from whom are all things and from whom we exist everything else is created Man has been pretty good at creating gods. But our God, the God of Abraham, is the only God. He's the only one that wasn't created. He is the creator. Amen? Every other false god is created. And the truth is, is this is the knowledge that we need to know. We need to know that. In our, we need to understand that, that he is first always. But even that knowledge needs to be utilized in love. If you go up to a Muslim and begin attacking everything they've ever believed, you're not going to get anywhere. It's true, there's only one God, but that's not the way to deal with it. That's not how you get through to somebody. That's not how you help somebody come to know the real God. Even this knowledge, something so fundamental to what we believe, has to be used in love. Amen? And then in verse 7 he says, However not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. See, because here's the problem. We know that these gods are fake. We know that these idols are nothing, but not everybody possesses this knowledge. There are even some Christians today who don't really understand that there is only one God and that everything came into existence through Him, through Jesus Christ. Particularly young believers, they're figuring it out. 
You go over to India right now, one of the most difficult times that they have in Indian, Indian India, sharing uh, the gospel with them is they have no problem with believing in another God. They'll just add them to the list. The hard part is getting to recognize that there's only one. And then it's him. He's the creator of everything. And then we have some Christians who are still learning about their freedom. That's what he's saying here, is that some of these, because of their former association with all these idols, these are people that were worshiping idols. These are people that were offering sacrifices to these false gods. He says that because of that, they haven't quite made the disconnect. They haven't really grown enough in faith yet. They're still maturing. They may have just been saved. And it says that when they eat the food offered to an idol, because it's, as far as they're concerned, it was really offered to this idol, it says their conscience being weak is defiled. Our goal as Christians is to help build people up, to help younger Christians grow. Because there's an idea that if you're a strong Christian, you follow all the rules. That you have your list of regulations, your rules, your regulations, your rituals, and if you do all of these things, then you're a good Christian because you've never messed up. You're always doing the right thing. And these are the ones that, that, that get offended when somebody else slips up. Instead of helping lift them up, they cast them out. But the truth is, is that young Christians are usually the ones that are looking for the rules because they haven't learned about their freedom in Christ. They haven't learned about who they are in Christ. They haven't fully assimilated the mind of Christ. They're still figuring it out, so they're looking for what they can and can't get away with. You know? They're looking for the, am I still allowed to do this? Am I not allowed to do this? They're still learning. They're still growing. The people that have to have the list of rules and regulations, they're not strong Christians. They're actually immature Christians. But as these young Christians, these immature Christians, are, are still learning about their freedom in Christ, they might associate things that they used to do. Like right here, they're, they're associating food offer with an idol as serving that idol. And it's, it's, it's hurting their conscience. They're feeling guilty. They're feeling awful about it. In today's world, we might have people that, that uh, you know, they, they get offended when other Christians play cards because they associate it with an old gambling addiction that they had. Or maybe they get offended because a Christian wants to go out and play pool because they, get a, they, they remember the time in their life when they were out shooting pool. They were, they were staying out till all, in, all times in the night. They were hanging out with people they shouldn't have, doing stuff that they shouldn't have. Or maybe they, they see Christians you know, dancing and they think about the time of their life when, when they were going to clubs and dancing. It was a time of just partying and, and, and it, 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 it's, they struggle with that. Because to them, they associate those things with being an enemy of God. Even though the reality is, is that as Christians, we have the, you know, you're still allowed to dance. That's not the issue. Unless it's going to cause somebody else to stumble. Then it's a problem. And that's what's going on here. These, these Christians, their, their weak conscience could not distinguish between right and wrong as it was associated with this food offered to idols. As far as they were concerned, they were sinning against God when they were eating this food offered to idols because they didn't understand yet. But you're like, well, that's crazy. They're not sinning against God. But I would, I would argue that they, st they were actually sinning against God because the Scripture says that anything that we don't do out of faith is sin. If they couldn't, in good conscience, if they couldn't, in faith, eat that, then they would actually be sinning against God. 
And so they matured until they grew enough to understand their freedom in Christ. They actually were sinning against God by acting in this way. And that's Romans, Romans 14.23 that says that anything from faith is not sin, if you want to write that down and look it up. But these are the ones as mature Christians we should be cognizant of. These are the ones we should be trying to help grow, but guarding all of our freedoms around them so that we don't cause them to slip up or cause them to stumble. Because here, that former association with idols was really causing a struggle in their life. They were really having a hard time. And the thing is, is that maybe seeing a mature Christian eating in the temple doesn't show them that eating, that idolatry or eating this food is okay, is, is not a sin. Maybe it shows them that sin is okay. That's the thing we have to think about. They, they may not be growing in that moment saying, no, this is, this is freedom. They're going, oh, I guess these kind of sins are okay. That's what's going through their mind. That's the things we have to think about, church. 1 Corinthians 8, 8 through 9 says, Food will not commend us to God. We all know that, right? This is the knowledge he's talking about. And he says, We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. He's continuing to say, Yeah, you guys are right. This knowledge that you have is right. Eating food to these, these false idols is of no consequence. It doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. It's just meat. It says, but you need to take care that it doesn't cause somebody else to stumble. Make sure that you don't hurt somebody else when you're exercising your freedoms. And church, these foods are not limited to food. These freedoms are not limited to food. We choose what we watch. We choose what we listen to. And we have great freedom in that because of what Christ has accomplished in us. We choose where we go. You know, the big one that I see in the church today, the, the freedom that people want to exercise the most is drinking alcohol. And I want to uh, share a story with you. His guy's name is J.T. Jordan. He's a youth pastor at Canvas Community Church. And he wrote a blog post that kind of shared his testimony uh, about this very subject. So this guy, he was saved when he was very young. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was raised in a Christian home. By the time he was in fifth grade, he knew that God had a call on his life for ministry. So he continued to grow, and he was on fire for God. He loved the Lord with everything that he had in his heart. And he grew up, and he decided to join the Air Force, and he wanted to become a chaplain. So he signs up with the Air Force, and he starts going to technical school, and he had lived his whole life serving God, and he got there, and things started to look a little different for him. And he was actually said, I was heartbroken, because all these men of God, these men being trained to be chaplains, many of them would go out at the end of the day, at the end of all our classes, and they would go out drinking at the bars. He said, and some of them would even be drinking during their, their study time. They would have study groups, and they're, they're, you know, they're out studying the Bible, and they're drinking alcohol. And he said it really, it really hurt him to see this going on, and he didn't understand it. But he made it through school, and he gets his first assignment at the base that he's stationed at, and he meets this uh, a Catholic priest who was also in the Air Force. And they become good friends. He said, he said this guy was a great guy. 
he really knew the Bible, he knew the Word, and he was someone that, you know, he trusted. But he said one night, he asked him out to have dinner with him, and, and this is the, the, the Catholic priest, to have dinner with him and some of his parishioners. And they went out to dinner, and he sat down, and they served a glass of wine to everybody at the table. Now, the Catholic priest saw the uncomfortableness in this, you know, this guy's, this, this guy's face. You know, he, so he says, hey, if you don't want to drink it, you don't have to drink the wine, that's fine. But I don't want you to think of drinking wine as sin. And he began to go through the scriptures and say, this is why drinking alcohol is not sin. You know, and he made his case through the scriptures that drinking al- and it, alcohol is not sin. And he said, as I was listening to this, he says, you know what? I trust this guy, and I believe what he's saying. And he's like, you know, when I go through the, the scriptures, you know, it, it looks like he's right on point. It's making sense. And he's like, you know what, the more he, he, he talked about this stuff, the more I thought maybe a glass of wine wouldn't be half bad. So he said, that was the very first night that I had a glass of wine. And that was the night that began my struggle with an addiction to alcohol. So, you know, move forward a little bit farther in time. And he says, you know, there was one night that I was, because I was getting, you know, he was getting drunk all the time now drinking getting drunk and he says one night i was being driven home from a party with my wife he says i was you know totally drunk and i decided i wanted another beer and the beer was in a cooler in the back of our suv so while she was driving 60 miles down the road i decided that i would get out the vehicle and walk to the back so i could get a beer and he says thank god she was able to slow down the vehicle enough that when he ended up rolling out of the vehicle that it didn't kill him. And he said, about this time, my wife was done with my alcoholic antics. She was fed up. She, she left me there in the ditch. She went home. And uh, he, he says that he began to, he tells a story of how he kind of had a come to Jesus moment and began to recognize how everything was going bad. But he, he said, I began to realize that my ministry was gone because actually before this happened, he had left the ministry because the farther he got in ministry, the more alcohol he was drinking, and it finally destroyed his ministry. He'd, so he lost his ministry. His, his family was about to leave him. And he has this you know, come-to-Jesus moment, and he gets things back on track. And there's much more to this story. I, I didn't want to go over all of it. This is already long enough for that. But I do want to read how he ended this, this article. And he says, I learned some valuable lessons during that time in my life. No, the Bible doesn't specifically say thou shalt not drink any alcoholic beverage. But I have personally seen the effects that alcohol can have on a person's life. I've witnessed the barrier that it creates between a person and God. As a deputy sheriff, nearly every domestic violence situation that I responded to almost always involved alcohol. Through all of this, I learned the reality found in 1 Corinthians 6.12. We looked at this some weeks ago. It says, uh, which says, You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. The same stuff that we're looking at today. Today, take care that this right of ours does not become a stumbling block to somebody else. And he says, as a leader, I also don't want to be a stumbling block for those that respect and look up to me. He says, I respect that chaplain. I looked up to him as a leader and officer. I believed him in his speech about drinking in moderation. The problem was I didn't have a moderation button that I could push to stop me from taking another drink when I was about to cross the line of being drunk. 
He says, I allowed that chaplain to be a stumbling block, and in turn, I became a stumbling block for others. I had close friends that ended up in jail for DUI, divorced, and some still struggling with that addiction. As a leader with a clear conscience, I can't endorse or teach that it's okay to drink alcohol. There are too many other people's lives and their eternity that is at stake. Maybe it is permissible, but I believe in no way is it beneficial. This is my story. So the question is, is it a sin to have a glass of wine? Probably not. But the reality is, is for many people, how many do you have just one? And is it enough to start, is one enough to start altering your ability to reason, to think clearly, to make smart choices? I know for me that, that uh, uh, it probably wouldn't take, I haven't drank in so long, it wouldn't take much to begin to mess with my head and, and, and to be able to do stupid things. But the big question and the main reason that I don't drink at all it's because will my I wonder will my action have an effect on another? If somebody sees me drinking, they, oh, the pastor's drinking. That must mean it's okay. And it's you know if the young man who was an alcoholic and just got saved sees me have a drink, what message would that send to him? I have to exercise my freedom very carefully. And it's not just me because I'm a pastor. You know we we think about. Well, what about the, the pictures that we post on Instagram or Facebook or any social media? Or if you're not on it, guess what? People you hang around are. And they're putting pictures up of the, you know, the, me talking about me, me dancing at the reception? I didn't put that picture up, you know, that video up, but you can find it. The truth is, is that we have to be very careful with our freedom so that we don't cause somebody else to stumble, particularly in a day and age where what we do can be plastered everywhere. Amen? We have to ask, what kind of light are we shining in this world? In uh, verse 10 it says, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? Paul is basically going on what we just continue to talk about, being careful. So remember that Paul now is addressing those who have this knowledge, that understand their freedom in Christ. Those who understand who it doesn't matter where the food comes from. But these are the folks that are also exercising their freedom publicly. You know, in this case, it probably wasn't a big deal if they were eating food sacrificed to idols in their home, exercising their freedom in the privacy of their home. It wouldn't have made a difference. But they're doing it publicly in the temple, and other Christians are seeing it. And Paul asks, if they see you doing it, won't they do the same? And we ask, well, what does it matter? It's not a sin, right? We just talked about that. It's not a sin. What would it matter if they do it? But we have to think, to them, it is a sin. To those who... who a conscience is weak to them it is a sin and they're going to see you doing it and they're going to go oh i guess it's okay and like i said what they're learning is not that they have freedom what they're learning is is that it's okay to sin that's the message that we're putting forth hey you know what this idolatry thing i know paul preached about it i know peter preached about it i know they all talked about it not really a big deal though that's what we're teaching them when we when we allow them to see stuff like this I'll be honest with you, as I was studying this, that's not an ever an angle I actually ever took it from before. I always thought it was, you know, maybe I could cause the alcoholic to, to get back into what he was doing, which is very true. But the truth is, is that, that 
what we're teaching people because as far as they're concerned, it's sin. So we're saying, oh, sin must be okay if it's in moderation. Amen? That's what they're learning. We must be considerate of how we live our lives. In verse 11 through 12, it says, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is... Does anybody ever want to have this said about them? By your knowledge, by your freedom, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. Christ died so that they could live, that they could be strong and victorious, and you exercising your freedom caused them to be destroyed. You exercising your freedom caused them to die. I think about that story about the guy who had that first glass of wine. That chaplain, though he was never intentioned to do so, he never meant to harm uh, the JT. He never meant to do anything to him. But the reality is, is that at that moment, he became an alcoholic and his ministry was destroyed. His faith slipped away. You know, that's a, and, and it may not always be that extreme, but in that case, we can see that that, that chaplain's decision literally destroyed that person because of who he was. And this was a brother from whom Christ died. So he says in verse 12, Thus you're sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, and you sin against Christ. He says you sin against Christ. The truth is, is that they have Christ living inside them. They are in union with Christ. And when you sin against them, you sin against Christ. This is why those of us who are mature, we have to, to understand these things and 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 not be that stumbling block because we could be hurting people. We might think to ourselves, even if we disagree with them, because some of you guys are going through the things in your life that are freedom of life, but they're not sin. I don't have to be worried about that kind of stuff. But even if we disagree, even if we have that knowledge, we have to, to be wary of those around us. We might think that playing cards isn't a big deal or playing pool, or watching certain shows on TV, or any other number of things. But when we do it publicly, we have to understand that it could be causing others to stumble and hurting them. And if we're not careful, instead of helping people grow in their faith, we can help them stumble. We can actually destroy their faith. Amen? And we're going to end here in verse 13. It says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble paul's taking a pretty strong stance this is a a stance that that many of us would be shocked that we would be asked to take he says i will never eat meat if it would cause my brother to stumble and that goes that goes for all of us i will never listen to that kind of music again if it might cause someone to stumble i will never Watch that TV show again if it would cause somebody to stumble. I will never eat that kind of food again. I will never have a glass of wine or have a a simple beer if it would cause someone to stumble. I will never... Any number of things. Paul says, I would never do it. He would give up his freedom. You know, that's the thing about freedom is that we also are free to relinquish some of it for the good of somebody else. Amen? Amen? So let's be a church that's shining brightly. Let's be a church who are living our lives in such a way that we are edifying and lifting up people instead of potentially tearing them down. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.